Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a home market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to keep from losing too much money on days like today. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate you about how days like this happen. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes the stock market feels like a mosaic where no one piece tells you anything. But when you look at the totality, everything becomes crystal clear. So on a day where the averages started strong, but then plummeted in a terrible reversal, Dow finishing down 249 points, S&P slipping 0.8%, NASDAQ losing 1.02%. I hate these kinds of downturns. Let me give you my impression of what's really driving the action. First things first, when you do look at the, the whole piece of the pride, when you try to figure out what it looks like, it's saying that we have not one but two economies right now. There's the goods economy and the services economy. Now, I've never seen the goods economy turn so weak so quickly. Just look at Mattel. Everybody wants toys. And we had them on last night. The toy maker was going full board in the holidays. Made sense. All of its toys were coming off record years. And everything just seemed to stop. Sales dried up in October and November. Then the holiday gift-giving season was truly truncated. Severely so. In the end, Mattel wound up with too much toy inventory, just a ton of it, and not enough sales. That's every retailer's nightmare. And it's not just Barbie dolls. Mattel's emblematic of most consumer discretionary goods. Sales at almost every retailer have hit a wall. Maybe we just didn't need more things. Maybe we were full up after the pandemic. On the other hand, when you look at travel and leisure space, everything's spectacular. If you've taken a flight lately, you know they're always packed, no matter what time you travel, no matter where you're going. Of course, there are other constraints on the airlines, but the underlying demand is extraordinary. When you get to where you have to go, the hotels are booked, and they are raising prices, as Hilton told us today. That company's stock traded up $3.5, and a bit as high as $5.5, despite, well, then, of course, we had the hideous afternoon trading. Why don't you consider the cruise lines? We've been in wave season when people book the most cruises. World Caribbean, Norwegian, and Carnival are racking up amazing numbers. It's like we all forgot those COVID Petri dish jokes from a couple years ago. Then again, that's the pattern with cruise lines, right? I mean, you have some food poisoning stories, some horror sales go down and come right back up. Uh, It's just what happens. Look, I've told you before, the travel and leisure stocks are booming thanks to the life is too short zeitgeist. We all know someone who died during the pandemic. Many people have been trapped in jobs they didn't know they despised until COVID hit. Others got to see the freedom that comes with working from home or not working, collecting generous unemployment benefits to the government with a check or two. 
This COVID era created a virtual landslide of revaluation, contemplation, and ultimately resignation. That's been pretty well covered. But the sheer scale of this pivot was so extraordinary that nobody was ready for it, and many pronounced it over a year ago. It isn't. People learn what it's like to be untethered, and they aren't going to take it anymore. Hey, but you want losers here? It's the flip side of the coin. Take a firm, okay? That's the buy now, pay later financial technology company. It's basically a modern version of layaway. The stock was down sharply today, and it wasn't because of a spike in bad debts. In fact, the opposite happened. Bad debts dropped. But usage also declined dramatically, especially for electronics purchases. We know electronics has been an astonishingly bad group. Dell saw a 37% decline in PC sales this last quarter, trading more than 6,500 layoffs. Now, a firm's founder and CEO, Max Lefton, seemed baffled that there could be such a massive pullback in spending. People just weren't buying things. It destroyed his whole growth narrative. By the way, they don't use uh, a firm for travel and leisure. It's, it's really for goods. Of course, a firm's been a total dog for ages. But things can always get worse, especially if you're in a bad industry. These guys are mostly tied to purchase of goods, as I said. And right now, that's the kiss of death. And there are zero cern- there's zero signs that I've seen this turn. If we've got a goods bear market and a services bull market, then why is everything so confusing? Well, I've got a new theory on that. And it took some time, but it's coming around. I think it's not simple. See, there's a key point that's being overlooked by everyone in the media and many in the stock market. Initially coming out of the pandemic, the travel and leisure spike was a broad-based thing. But now it's no longer a big tent. It seems increasingly like something only the wealthier people can afford. Now, I first heard this story from Kevin Hockman. He's the CEO of Brinker's parent. Uh, Brinker, that's the parent company of Chili's. This company always prided itself on offering food for everyone, but inflation has made it so many meals are too expensive for many people, work, working people. Rather than making everything available to working people, to everybody, Brinker's raising prices on the bulk of its dishes while leaving some value options to keep things accessible. With that strategy, they're now making more money, though, because wealthy consumers are spending on services, think liquor and expensive dishes, like there's no tomorrow. We heard a similar tale from Brian Nickel, the CEO of Chipotle, which took a lot of price and therefore priced out to some degree those who'd normally be able to afford the burritos. Again, though, the rich more than made up for the slack. How about Disney? Their theme parks are no longer considered a bargain for anyone, save, more, save expense. People are really well off. Again, though, the well off have more than enough money to fill the parks, and they are overflowing. I'm going to go a step further. It's obscured. But the rich are even spending on goods. Right now, Ralph Lauren and Tapestry, parent of Coach, and Kate Spade and Stuart Weiss reported splendid numbers. We just don't have enough awareness of this height of this trend because of high-end stores. Are, they're not public. Mass retailers sure are. Oh, by the way, let's add in Sonos. That was another one. Very expensive system. They did great. Expensive things are selling. Why do we, what do we make of this? How do we make money off it? Right now, I think it's fair to say we've only had one economic one, one strong number. Every other number's been weak. And what is that strong number? It's the most important of all. It's the non-farm payroll report. And it was truly, truly high. Every other data point's been weak. Now, what happens if you go under the hood of that data of the non-farm report? Well, we saw fair to million hiring in pretty much every private sector, except professional and business services, and more importantly, leisure and hospitality. Those were on fire. Professional grew by 82,000 jobs. I don't yet have a thesis on that. But hospitality, which encompasses travel and leisure, that gained 128,000. And I think that number is about to get even stronger because it's still below the pre-pandemic level of 495,000. And we need more people. Stands the reason that the travel boom will stimulate enough boom, enough business, that those jobs will be filled. So if you're a Fed official, you need to recognize the bifurcation. 
While the biggest spurt to hiring certainly isn't over, it is isolated certain segments. Maybe you should asterisk some of this. Travel and leisure booming, but at the same time, a huge part of the economy and retail is in real trouble. The Bed Bath & Beyonds of the world most likely won't come back. But the high ends like the Tiffany's purchased by LVMH, they are crushing. But that doesn't represent the real economy. Now, you, you have to ask, can the Fed figure out this mosaic? Does the Fed want everyone to be able to afford chilies? Are they worried that the price of food, which is just as important as labor, has gotten too tight? Do they really want to solve the problem by effectively throwing a lot more people out of work? It's really hard. All I can say is that while, uh, is that while yes, I'm in favor of the Fed hitting us with two more rate hikes, quarter points. This early season has proven conclusively that even though the rich are spending their darn full heads off, the poor can no longer be afford to get a really good burger or burrito. Now, it's not the Fed's job to level the playing field and make the rich equal to the poor. Maybe Jay Powell's made more progress fighting on inflation than their colleagues want to believe, except for this one area. Bottom line, I think price stability, therefore, is right around the corner. And only the growth in travel and leisure will keep things from making it so that the economy's not too hot. Then after those positions are filled, maybe the Fed will declare victory and stop bringing the pain. They just need to be aware there's really only one area of strength left in this entire economy. And sometimes the Fed has to say, you know what? Let's let that cool off, but recognize that the economy's not so hot anymore. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Hey, Jimmy Chill. I'm having a hard time choosing between two great stocks that you said were absolutely wonderful, and that is CrowdStrike and Palo Alto. Now, CrowdStrike moves kind of wild and crazy, and it's up 8% year-to-date. Palo Alto's kind of calm, and it's up 19% year-to-date. So Palo Alto's kind of a smooth ride, kind of boring. And well, Palo Alto is, is my favorite of those two. That is in my bullpen for the Chapel Trust. By the way, tonight we got Alteryx was good. We got Cloudflare was good. That's more cybersecurity. I think CrowdStrike and Palo Alto Networks will go up because Fortinet was good too. So that's a great idea, and I suggest that you buy Palo Alto right here. Let's go to Rick in California. Rick. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well, thank you. How about you? Wonderful. Thanks. Jim, I think that you'd have to be a knucklehead to doubt the long-term promise of Eli Lilly. But with that said, since the 1st of December, the slide has been pretty ugly. That is, up until just a few days ago. It seems to have bottomed last week, and today it passed through its 20-day moving average. Do you think this is the beginning of the rocket ship we're all looking for? Well, we know interest rates went up today, which is typically not when you buy the drug stocks. But I will tell you that the whole group's been under a great deal of pressure. Moderna, look, this is a wonder drug. This is the drug that promotes weight loss. It's not yet approved. For people, it's only uh, who are obese. It's just for diabetes. Once that approved, then everybody will know, and you need to be in it now and let others take you out 100 points for now. How about Matt in Texas, please? Matt. Mr. Kramer, how's it going? Good evening. Uh, I'm having a good day. How about you, Matt? Doing well. Beautiful weather down here. All right. You recently hosted the CEO of a consumer staple company who told a story of a seven-year transformation that rewarded the company with leading price elasticity and attractive roadmap for growth. Posted a really good quarter back in January, but since then, stock's been kind of like trickling down a bit. It yields about three and three quarters, um, about 15 times next year's earnings. What are your thoughts on ConAgra as an addition to my dividend portfolio? The whole, the whole segment has been crushed. 
And you hit upon the one that had the biggest upside surprise. By the way, Kellogg's number was good today, too. It nobody cared. I think it's a great place to smart to start. I was thinking of Smuckers there for a second, the smart. A great place to start buying, but don't buy all at once because the group is in bear market mode. This group has fallen out of favor, and all you have to do is look at the stock of Pepsi, which had one of the best quarters I have seen this year. And what did it do? It went up a buck and a half after being up more than three points at one point today. All right, I think price stability is right around the corner, and it's just travel and leisure for the rich. That's all that's left and strong. Oh, my money tonight. XPO fell today after earnings, so could this be an outsized reaction and a buying opportunity? I'm taking a closer look at the action with the CEO because it was baffling. Then the second Iger era has begun at Disney. Amid a major restructuring, is the magic back in the house of the mouse? I'm digging the quarter and sharing what you need to know. And soaring after earnings, does New Relic stock have a new lease on life? Enterprise software trying to make a comeback here. I'm destructuring the numbers with the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, what the heck went wrong? The stock of XPO, the trucking company, has been breaking itself up over the last couple of years. First, they spun off the logistics business as GXO in 2021. Then they spun off their truckload brokerage business as RXO late last year. What is left is a company that's focused on North American less-than-truckload freight business with large sky with the European division that they also had planned to sell. But it looks like that process may be delayed because of the sorry state of the capital markets. Last night, the new Slimmer XPO reported what initially looked to me like an in-line quarter, slight revenue miss, but decent earnings beat. 
You look under the hood, there were some issues. XPO's yield, the revenue uh, per volume moved, came at the lower end of management forecast. December sounds like it might be tough. Let's find out what really happened, because it could be weather-related. Initially, the stock was uh, uh, open flat this morning. I get that. But over the course of the day, it collapsed, finishing down about 14%. I have to tell you, I'm a little shocked. This wasn't a perfect quarter, but I don't think it was particularly bad either. Certainly not down 14% bid. That's, that's kind of crazy. So don't take it from me, though. Let's sort this out with Mary O'Hara. He's the CEO of XPO. Mr. Eric, welcome back to Mayor Buddy. Thanks so much, Jim, for having me. Okay, so Mary, this is a pretty good quarter. It was certainly the best, in, as you describe in the metrics, better than your competitors. Uh, you had a lot of things that are going right, and you're also pretty, you have a pretty good bullish forecast, and your price earnings multiple is very low. So what the heck happened here? Well, Jim, sometimes the market gets it right, sometimes the market doesn't get it right. And when you look at our results, we had a solid fourth quarter. We grew our adjusted EBITDA by 53% on a year-on-year basis. We grew our adjusted, uh, adjusted EPS by 53%, adjusted EBITDA by 38%, and we grew revenue in a soft macro. So very solid quarter, and we're excited about the long-term outlook of the business and, and our plan we're going to execute on over the years to come. Could it be, was the cadence week, was December a week month? Well, December was weaker from an overall freight volumes perspective, but it was impacted by weather in the back half of December. But this said, our January volumes are up and to the right. They are better than typical seasonality and better than the fourth quarter, despite the softness we're seeing in the industry. So the industry is going down on tonnage. We are going up on tonnage. Well, I was positive with Ben Stoto, who works with me, that perhaps uh, JB Hunt reports, not great number, but it's not horrible, okay? And they give you good outlook. Uh, Old Dominion reports a good number and a really good outlook. Your stock goes up twice, once, and then the next time off those two. So then when you report, it gives back a lot of what, what happened during that rally. But it, I could argue that you had a better quarter than both of those companies. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right? I mean, overall, again, you look at revenue growth, you look at volume growth, you look at yield growth or pricing growth as well. And we continue to see that strength here early in the first quarter as well. Do you think there could be... Uh, some people who just say, you know what, this company, they told me that if they did all the, if they merged Europe with U.S. and they spent a lot of money on brokerage and spent a lot of money on logistics, you would love it because it would be all together. And then Brad Jacobs said, you know what, we have multiple envy, and he undid it and expected us to like it. And maybe people just say, you know what, I've seen too much breakup here. I'm like moving on. Listen, we we are very confident in our plan. When you look at our North American LTL or less than truckload business, it's a great industry, a bedrock of the economy, and we have a solid plan to grow margins, to grow earnings, and capture profitable market share while capitalizing on a strong pricing environment in the less than truckload industry. Okay, so how about at one point in your conference call you say, volume fell basically for the whole industry, but not for XBO, which grew tonnage. Maybe it's some sort of group move that just says that in the end you'll be pulled down at the same time? Well, listen, when we look again at the first quarter, we are anticipating volumes to be up as well, which, uh, which goes contrarian to what we're seeing in the industry. Yes, it is. And we saw that in the month of January. Well, now you're spending $525 million on capital expenditures. That is a statement that you believe. We absolutely do. It's a high return on invested capital business that generates more than 30% ROIC. So the more capital we deploy, we can add capacity so we can gain profitable market share and operate more efficiently. You also indicate that while there, we had these supply chain problems, 
you're not part of that. You've been training drivers. You've got the good fleet of, you also have uh, you, the trailers. You make the trailers. Yep. You're training drivers. Where are we in terms of XPO's ability to be able to help the supply chain mess up? Well, first, let's start with drivers. It's always been tight to hire truck drivers. Yes. But last year, we graduated more than 1,700 truck drivers from our driver schools. Ooh. And in our own manufacturing facility of trailers, and we are the only carrier that can produce trailers, we produce more than 4,700 trailers that we added to our so fleet as well. So you clearly had to have been a part of what people are saying to me, that these supply chain woes are indeed easy. They are definitely easing, and we're hearing it from our customers. Today, two-thirds of our customers are industrial companies. You look, for example, at the uh, auto sector, where the auto sector had pent up demand, but now we are seeing those supply chain woes easing up, and they're being able to fulfill more of that demand, which is showing strength, for example, in the auto industry. Now, I have become a believer in the last four months that Europe, of all places, is actually getting stronger. Now, I know you had plans maybe to offload Europe. Is there any sense that maybe you should keep it because Europe's suddenly taking a turn for the better? Listen, we always look at every decision we make as how are we going to create the most amount of shareholder value. Now, when we look at our business in Europe, uh, we obviously spoke in December about uh, stopping the process on the near term. However, the business is performing really well. We, right. we grew, in the fourth quarter, Jim, we grew our revenue on a constant currency basis by 9% and our EBITDA on a constant currency basis by 10%, and it was a soft macro in the European market. Well, I'm just going to have to say that unless people really believe that there's going to be a recession coming in the next three to six months, they have gotten a chance to be able to buy XPO much cheaper than it was just three or four days ago for no reason whatsoever because it should have been more expensive. So I want to thank you for coming back on Mad Money. That's Mario Herrick. He's the CEO of XPO, a company you'll be following for many years and made a lot of money for you that's doing this breakup. What's left here seems very interesting. These prices, Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, the Bob Iger era is officially underway again. Kramer breaks down the Mouse House's earnings call with its new big cheese. Next. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
Last night, Disney rolled out its most successful sequel in ages, Bob Iger 2. Now, you never know what you're going to get from a Disney sequel. Maybe it'll be a billion-dollar blockbuster like Frozen 2 or Avatar, which just became the fifth highest-grossing movie of all time. Or maybe it's a straight-to-video trash fire like The Lion King 2 or Little Mermaid 2. Two movies you never know existed, unless your kids were exactly the right age in the late 90s. Iger's return to CEO feels more like the former than the latter. Yep, the once and now current chief executive only took over a few months ago, and the business seems already back on track, rapidly becoming one of my favorite turnaround stories, which is why we own it large for the charitable trust. In Iger, we trust. Remember, not too long ago, Disney was indeed a disaster. Under Iger's predecessor, Bob Chapek, also his previous successor, the company was almost running the ground in a short period of time. Even though Disney's got a legion of wildly popular franchises, none of them could offset the weight of Chapek's mismanagement. He finally got himself fired after the last earnings report three months ago, and it was an awful quarter. By the way, it was a billion-and-a-half-dollar miss benchmark, where Chapek sounded totally out of touch if not the loser on the conference. He was like, giddy. No, I wasn't giddy. My stock, we owned the stock for a trust. We weren't giddy. That's how we ended up with the Iger restoration. This is the guy who ran the company in its glory days from 2005 to 2020. And while he did make some mistakes here in the end, and I wasn't crazy about the price he paid for Fox, but enough already. Overall, his tenure was phenomenal for Disney shareholders. Phenomenal. Iger spent the past few months reevaluating the business, coming up with a plan to turn things around and change the narrative. And that's exactly what he delivered when the company reported last night. Overall, the numbers were solid. Disney posted better-than-expected sales, up 8% year-over-year. That's really good. It was on top of a monster 21-cent earnings beat off a 78-cent basis. That's why the stock flew up, okay? It was right to go up. We also got higher-than-anticipated subscriber numbers for Disney+. Plus. There's, you know, for Disney+, Plus, their streaming, Disney Plus, their streaming service. The only real blemish on the quarter was software-than-expected average revenue per user for streaming. But you know what? That's nothing compared to the strength of the rest of the business. Uh, Disney Plus, it's for real. At the, set, at the same level, okay, theme parks were on fire, 27% revenue growth, 39% operating profit growth. These are huge numbers. Fueled by the life is too short thesis I keep talking about. I dipped about the top of the show. After being locked up for the better part of two years, anyone who wants to go to Disney World is heading there as soon as possible. What a fabulous business it's always been. Meanwhile, their media and entertainment distribution business had mixed results, only 1% revenue growth, although they gave, it gave you a small unexpected loss. Within that, Disney streaming services, which include Disney+, ESPN+, and Hulu, only lost $1.05 billion when the analysts thought it would look, be more like $1.22 billion, down from nearly $1.5 billion in the previous quarter. Let's just say it's going in the right direction, still burning money but not nearly as much as it was. And by the way, ESPN Plus doing, doing quite well. Now, you could argue it was the huge losses in streaming that cost Bob Chapek's job. The fact that Iger's already making progress on this front is a big deal. And Disney made it clear those losses should shrink by another $200 million in the current quarter. Why would you say that unless you can do it? Really, though, the numbers are just the tip of the iceberg. I always tell you to wait for the conference call, and this time Disney bowled us over with new positives. First, Iger announced the restructuring plan. He's reorganizing the business into three units, Disney Entertainment, ESPN, and then a grab bag division with parks, entertainment, uh, parks, experiences, and products. Basically, he's unwinding the previous reorganization under the predecessor because he wants each unit to be responsible for their own profitability and making their own projects, right? Makes sense. When Chapek took power away from the studio heads, he ended up losing control of the company, while obscuring and then ultimately obliterating any accountability. Iger doesn't want that to happen again. The old model worked just fine. Why not leave it? At the same time, Iger is laying off 7,000 people. That's a lot of people. And he's aiming for huge cost cuts, $5.5 billion in total, although $1 billion of that was already planned. 
Still, if he pulls it off, I will indeed stop worrying about an engorged balance sheet. Although Iger already assured to say that it's really not a problem. I felt like I was worried more when I listened to that. Just as important, Iger changed the narrative. On the call last night, he talked about how there were two significant transformations during his first reign as CEO. Early on, Disney had an era of growth where they acquired Pixar and Marvel, uh, Marvel and Lucasfilm, ultimately allowing themselves to create huge, lasting franchises that would come to dominate the entertainment business. Then Iger said there was a second year focused on the creation of compelling digital platforms like Disney's three main streaming services. Iger says the company is now in a third transformational era. This time he's focused on profitable growth, which I love. It's music to the ears of Wall Street. Listen to what Iger told my squawk on the street compadre and good friend David Faber this very morning. We reiterated that yesterday on the call. So now as we've looked to basically becoming profitable and figured out how do we do that, it's clear to us that we do have to continue to grow subs, but it's not just about that. We have to have the right pricing. I talked yesterday about promotion. We have to have the right marketing. We have to have the right content. And if you go back to the structure that we put in place, which is a direct linkage between the creative side and the distribution side, there, I, there is a, more, a greater likelihood that we will have the right content. I don't know. Sounds good plan to me. How about you? Finally, in a surprise move, Iger also announced that he'll ask the board of directors to reinstate the dividend. I'll be at first in modest fashion. But, and it'll be done by the end of the year. But that's possible because of the cost cuts. Now, if you don't remember, Disney suspended its dividend when COVID hit in 2020, and they never brought it back. After that, they, that was bad. They were spending so much money to build out their streaming platforms, they couldn't afford it. Now, I certainly wasn't expecting the dividend to come back. That was a surprise in the call, even at a small level, which is what Iger says we'll be getting. To me, that's a huge sign of confidence from management. You don't want to reinstate the dividend and then take it back out. Put it all together, this was a terrific update from Disney. In fact, I'm a little surprised that after opening up more than 5% this morning, the stock ended the day lower. Although that's probably uh, because it really came in hot. It's up nearly 30% year to date as of last night's close. Now, as we've been telling members of the Investing Club, and we did this multiple times just today, Disney's got some of the world's best franchises, but they could never unlock their value under the old regime because managers seemed incapable of articulating a clear narrative for the whole company, let alone break it up. But Iger is just such a better storyteller. Much better. He makes sense, right? He's a Hollywood guy. How can we be sure? Because so many analysts focus on the number of subscribers at Disney Plus the company racked up, not how well the company is going holistically. And that is something that Iger is changing. That's no longer the narrative. See, the analysts had made it into a junior Netflix, which was actually a terrific senior growth company. So no more breakout of sub numbers, and I say good riddance. They were always a crummy way to look at the company. Profitability, on the other hand, is the only way to look at Disney, and that's what Iger gets. I'm not the only one who was happy about the quarter. One of our favorite activist investors, Nelson Peltz, got involved with Disney late last year, eventually launching a proxy fight to get his hands on a board seat. But after today, Peltz has apparently seen enough because he's now calling off the dogs. Shortly after Iger's interview on Squawk on the Street, Peltz called in to speak to me and announced live on air that he's dropping the proxy fight. Nelson Peltz has a tremendous track record when he's got Tryon, when he's working with Tryon, which is his company. And if he believes in Iger, maybe you should too. Here's the bottom line. For the first time in a long time, Disney finally feels like it's back on track. While the stock's already had a monster move since the beginning of the year, I'm betting it can have a lot more upside now that Iger's turning things around and bringing the magic back. Let's speak to Tyler, Massachusetts, please. Tyler. Jimmy, chill. I've got a fun one for you, like your Eagles this weekend. Oh, man, chill's listening. What do you got? 
Yeah, so with the content wars of streaming going on, with their CEO and founder, Reed Hastings, leaving the company, and with the account strictness at Netflix, do you think Netflix is a buy right now? Well, obviously, I mean, I think we could say, as uh, my old trading mate, Karen Kramer, would say, are you kidding me? You really missed it, chief. She would chief me, not Jimmy, chill me. But I will tell you that I think it's a great situation. The stock could go down, and then you do have to buy it. Let's go to Rick in my home state of Pennsylvania. Rick! Hey, Jim, booyah! It's booyah, Nick my Rick friend. What's happening? New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. Excellent. Hey, Jim. That's good. That's all good news. All right. Hey, what's what are we doing? On Penn National Gaming. Well, look, Penn we now Gaming want, Penn. believe it or not, the world has changed. Now we're back to liking Macau. And that's why that's why my travel trust is on win throughout this, because win is the best in Vegas, in Boston, and in Macau. Boy, thank heavens those guys are back on track. Hey, speaking of back on track, Disney feels like it's back on track. While the stock's already had a monster move since the beginning of the year, I'm betting it can have more upside, and you should buy it as it comes down. Check my club bulletins, and you'll know when and where and why to buy. Hey, much more Mad Money Head, including Jimmy Schill's exclusive with New Relic. After putting a strong set of numbers for the third quarter, I'm thinking of the company's top of our ass. Then Nelson Peltz declared the proxy fight with Disney was over earlier on the squawk of the street, as I said. So, what changed? What we can learn from this situation? That's my takeaway. I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Every now and then we get a reminder that companies can indeed change their stripes. Take New Relic, the cloud-based application performance monitoring play. We used to follow this one pretty closely when the cloud stocks were hot. Then the whole space got very crowded. It felt like New Relic was losing out to the competition. And there I'm thinking Splunk, Datadog, or even Cisco's AppDynamics. But then New Relic changed its strategy. They adopted a variable consumption-based business model. That's not unlike Snowflake or even Amazon Web Services. Most of the cloud outfits charge you a flat fee. At the same time, they brought in software veteran Bill Staples, the CEO. Now, it's taken a couple years, but now that we're no longer in bear market mode for enterprise software, New Relic's caught fire. The latest move came after the company reported a truly blowout set of numbers on Tuesday night, a fabulous beaten race quarter that sent the stock up more than 18% yesterday. Even after this rebound, though, New Relic's down more than 50 bucks from its 2021 highs. So could the stock have more upside? Let's check in with Bill Staples. He's the newest CEO of New Relic. You get a better read of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Staples, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, sir, I've got to tell you that trying to get people to understand New Relic is a little difficult unless I pick out one of your most marquee clients. It's an outfit that I know that I want others to know, which is an outfit called William Hill. And people may not know, but William Hill is a gigantic, uh, well, you, you gamble on them. It's a gambling site. And they, have, they do something like 5 million transactions a day, which I imagine if they go down, say, tomorrow or the next day because of the Super Bowl, it crushes them. They can't afford to go down. So please tell us what New, what New Relic did for William Hill. William Hill is a fantastic customer to start with. They've been a customer for New Relic for some time, and we've worked with them, uh, brought them into the new consumption, modern consumption business platform that uh, you talked about earlier. And in this quarter, they quadrupled their commitment with us. It's because we offer a platform that lets them standardize their observability practice 
and bring all of their engineers into one place so that they can move faster and uh, continue to serve their customers with world-class service. All right, so let's, someone, let's say someone uh, hacked it, or let's say there's a, a definitive slowdown that you can identify. Would it be New Relic telling the engineers, or would they just see it on a dashboard? Yeah, our software serves engineers and gives them the data that they need to make better decisions. And it's across a whole set of scenarios. But to make it simple, we effectively do two things for our customers. And it's especially important in this uneven economy. We help engineers save money, right? We help them understand where there's performance problems or inefficiencies or problems with the software that they've built that might be um, improved to increase the overall company efficiency. And we help them make money. So measuring customer experience, optimizing the customer experience and the business performance of their digital business. All right, so Lou Cerny used to come on, he used to, which is a kind of an anagram, New Relic. And we talk about a site that I absolutely love, which is Major League Baseball. I'm not sure that's still a logo for you, but mine was down. And I just, you know, swore up and down. I would never look at it again. It was in the middle of a Phillies game, and I couldn't believe it. And then they got you guys. And I think that what happened is literally they knew when the site was down, and they didn't know otherwise. Are people that um, naive that you can monitor it yourself? (laughs) Well, as you know, every business today is a digital business, and everyone's striving to reach more customers, deliver better experiences through all kinds of channels. Uh, MLB is a great one. We've got the Super Bowl coming up this this Sunday, right? And there are many of the streaming providers who are relying on New Relic to ensure that every uh, every consumer that wants to watch the Super Bowl can have a great experience. Uh, these are customers like McDonald's. I, I don't know, uh, Jim, you ever eat an Egg McMuffin? Sure. Oh, you got to order it on the McDonald's mobile app, right? McDonald's relies on New Relic to make sure that the mobile app's up all the time so you can get that sausage egg McMuffin. Verizon, for their 5G networks, relies on New Relic. Domino's Pizza, I'm sure you've ordered a few of those. You betcha. They rely on New Relic, too, to make sure that the site and service is always up and ready to earn every dollar. All right, so you take Domino's. Their website is about as sophisticated as anyone I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, the reason why we have it on the fact they changed the taste of the pizza was that it, it's so clean. The site's so clean. We know where, where the delivery person is. We know everything. And it seems like it's pretty mistake-proof. Uh, is the fact that, uh, it, it, that every single time I've ever Domino's ever ordered it comes on time, is New Relic part of that equation? Absolutely, we're part of that equation. We help customers like Domino's understand how their infrastructure is performing and supporting that application, and understand how customers are engaging with it so that every click they can observe, they can see how things are performing, and then they can continue to optimize it. You talked about how simple the experience is. Well, building that kind of simplicity takes actually a lot of great design, but also a lot of great data to understand exactly how customers are reacting to the experience and then further optimize it as they go. Well, so when the stock dropped, I mean, there were a couple of tough quarters. You changed the model, but you also brought in a free tier that sounds very interesting. So I can try New Relic? What, what, how does a free tier work? Yeah, let me tell you why New Relic today is the most ubiquitously adopted platform on the planet. Because it's really kind of special what we've done here. In July of 2020, we introduced a perpetual free tier for observability. The only vendor to do this. And it's a high-scale, high-efficiency motion that lets engineers 
fall in love with our software at their own pace, no sales conversations, no limited trials, no credit card required. And then as they start to use it more and more, as they hit the free tier limits, they can add the credit card, begin paying for it. And our go-to-market motion then is optimized around nurturing that value to increase what they're getting out of our product and ultimately lead them into a sales conversation where they can get more discounts with a contract and continue to grow their observability practice. Wow. Well, you guys are doing terrifically, and I'm thrilled. You were always just the nicest one in the group, and now I think you've got a fabulous business model, which I really like, and blue-chip clients. I want to thank New Relic CEO Bill Staples. Bill, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. Great to be here. Absolutely. Man Money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next... And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dance over the lightning round. Let's start with Linda in Georgia. Linda. Yes, from Astos, Georgia. Home of the Georgia Bulldogs. I have, oh, my. Yeah. Athens. I mean, it's like Greece, but it's Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think half of the Eagles are from the University of Georgia. But yes, anyway, we've got a great line, defensive lineman, and then we got a, right in the middle. What's going on? What's going on? Okay, I would like to know about Moderna. I bought it, uh, I think, last year about at a high point, and it has done nothing but go down, and it, it goes up a little bit, almost hits 200, maybe 190, and it starts going back. So I am just wondering what to do with it. Well, Linda, you are so right. A lot of people are tired of it. It's a very expensive stock. I have faith in, St- in Stephane Mansell. I think he's remarkable, and I think that we saw something great for the pandemic, but there's much more ahead, and I think you should buy more. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave! Dr. Kramer, my mad phosphoro friend, how bullish are you on your eagles? Well, it's, it's hard to not be. I mean, I like Kelsey. Oh, two guys. Good. So what's up, Dave? After a crash and burn on my last lightning round stock, I'm trying to redeem myself now with Okta. Jim, your thoughts? Okay, a lot of these enterprise software companies, this is obviously cybersecurity, starting to have a couple of days that are good. Cloudflare was good, and Alteryx was good, and I think that Okta's come down enough. I don't like the ones that are losing money. If he would just pivot, if he would just pivot, then I think that you'd find ourselves in a great situation, Todd. Uh, but right now, he's got to pivot first. I mean, pivot going from loss in high growth to a little less growth and profits. Come on, Todd McKinnon. Let's go to Colin in Michigan. Colin. Hey, booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. I'm calling about a company. It makes things, does stuff, returns some of that money to shareholders. It's had a pretty good run last year, and I'm wondering if I should add to this position or if I should cut my uh, winnings and move on to something else. The company is MCorp. MCorp, boy, does that ever make things do stuff and turn money. He's got it so right. That's my kind of stock. What can I say? Very profitable company. Sells at 18 times earnings. Maybe let it go to 17 and then buy more. But, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Thank you. Let's go to Lori in Connecticut. Lori. Hi, Jim. I'm a charter member of the Investing Club. and um, Thank you. I so appreciate your uh, tremendous energy and uh, dedication. A lot uh, more to come. 
A lot more to come, yeah. Lori. Great. I'm, I'm wondering what you think about Hess. I like Hess okay. I mean, if you want to play the majors, I would actually rather see in Chevron with that big buyback and the doing play well. Hess is okay. Chevron's better. We're not done. Let's go to Irene in New York. Irene! Hi, Jim. I just want to thank you first for all your good advice. Oh, thank you, Irene. Do my best. Do my best. What's up? My stock has a high yield, and it's tax-exempt, and it's Alliance Bernstein. What's your call? Okay, very tough business right now, the brokerage business. Uh, And so I am not going to say... No, no, I will. This thing's at 13 times earnings, and I think business is going to get better. I said that last night about SVB. I will say that about Alliance Bursley. I think you possibly have a winner. Please don't buy all at once, though. But I'm changing my mind about that stock because of what I said last night on SVB. I need to go to Greg in Nevada. Greg! Hey, Jim. Still pretty positive over here about the Eagles Super Bowl on Sunday. My question I have is, to hope so. I know. My question is, do we feel as positive as we do about semiconductor S-E-M. You know what? I think that it just had a huge run. It feels a lot like the Chiefs. I think it's peaked already. What can I say? It's very Chief-like. I'm sorry. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what's there to learn from two bankable CEOs about corporate governance? Iger, Benioff, and your investments, next. Here's five words you don't hear much on Wall Street. All's well that ends well. I'm talking about the magical moment Disney CEO Bob Iger came on Squawk on the Street and laid out his fantastic plan to restore growth and profitability. The moment my colleague David Faber finished his interview, Nelson Peltz, who initiated a proxy fight to get on the Disney board, called in, said he got what he wanted. He's happy. Proxy fight over. Most of the time, these proxy fights turn real contentious. But Iger's transformative vision for Disney was enough to silence even his most critical opponents. And look, this fight was not much to do about nothing. Peltz had real grievances. Disney had lost its magic. Under the old leadership, management only seemed to care about streaming. All the other properties were an afterthought. Meanwhile, creative control was seen as some major dome on near the top. The $1.5 billion miss in the previous quarter was a new benchmark of failure, which is why this old CEO got ousted. But now Hiker's giving us a sweep from your organization, even bringing back a modest dividend later this year. Two things Peltz very much wanted to see. When Peltz came on Squawk on the Street, he was very gracious, thanking Iger for making money along with the other shareholders, including my Chapel Trust. The proxy fight, it's over. To me, this Disney story is capitalism at its finest. Sure, it got a little rough. Kitchen can be a brutal place, but the dish tasted great. If Iger can deliver on his plan, and I think he will, then the stock's way too cheap, especially after its late afternoon pirouette. <laughs> You know, though, where the Tempest may be an apt description? Salesforce. Founder and CEO Mark Benioff is under fire from five different activist firms. While everything seems so tame so far, this one is going to get ugly. Maybe very ugly. Benioff's built an amazing company, a software's proven sales builder. I think three of the activist firms, Sourboard, Value, Jeff Oben, and Value Act, have worked pretty much, mo- you know, they've worked closely with Mark, pretty constructive so far. He agreed uh, with Starboard to put a mutually agreed upon candidate on the board. The dialogue seems constructive. The fourth firm, third point, don't know the intentions. 
The one who may cause the storm would be Elliott Management, a hard-nosed outfit that I'm sure is unhappy with not only just the one executive. I think they're unhappy with the entire board of directors, frankly, and the lack of cost discipline at the company still. They think there are still way too many people there. They may even want Benioff's head seeking a more hands-on successor sooner rather than later, as we got tonight from PayPal, where the resignation of Dan Shulman later this year initially spiked the company's stock, Elliott Management. Of course, Salesforce has seen its stock move up dramatically ever since Mark outlined a $10 billion buyback, 10% layoff, 8,000 people, activists started swooping in. I have to tell you, as a stockholder, I'm in favor of anything that increases the share price. I'm actually pretty shocked that none of these activists have opted to declare victory a la Nelson Peltz, given how much the stock's run the last couple of months. And look, this is not some mismanaged fiasco like Disney before Iger took over. Salesforce has gone from $10 billion in sales five years ago to $30 billion on its way to $50 billion. Usually profitable. Parts of the gold standard in the customer relations management industry. Ask anyone. What went wrong? I think this. Salesforce stock had the misfortune of trading with the rest of the cohort, the cloud place. It surged north of 300, the peak in November 2021, then crashed to 126, just like they all crashed, okay? Did they hire too many people? Not if things had stayed strong, but yes, if there's a slowdown, and there is. Did Benny have to do a bad job? Are you out of your mind? He's the best there is. But the sin here is that Salesforce is indeed a public company, and what shareholders say matters. I don't know how this one's going to turn out. I do think Mark will listen to his shareholders, as he did when he called off his Twitter takeover bid. But if I were working at these active firms, I'd be worried about antagonizing Benioff to the point where he retires. As much as he loves the company, it's not like he needs to work for a living. And I think his departure would be a huge loss. He's made, it a, he's made this company great. He's brought in the biggest customers. But all that matters now, I guess, is what have you done for me lately? Then again, maybe I've become too nice a guy. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.